Luke chapter 6, verses 12 through 26. I'm going to read that for us, then we'll pray. In, in these days he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve, whom he named apostles, Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew his brother, and James and John, and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas, and James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon who was called the Zealot, and Judas the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. And he came down with them and stood on a level place, and with a, and with a, with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all over uh, Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases, and those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured, and all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, and revile you, and spurn you. Your name is evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day, and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets." But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for all that we have here today to learn, and we pray that you would help us to um, learn to, to understand, to believe, and to submit to your to your scriptures. And we pray this um, we pray, pray this confidently uh, because we know the gospel is true. We thank you for Jesus, and it's in His name we pray. Amen. This uh, this passage here uh, has five surprises in it. That's the that's sort of like the way we're organizing the sermon this morning. Five. Surprises, and these are um, these are not surprises. Like um, my my children surprise me often. Um, um, Haddon is our three year old. She we put her to bed, and then we go and sit in the living room, and and it, she incredibly quietly she comes out and she'll stand like just outside of our peripheral vision, and she just stands there. And you when you look over and there's a person where you were not expecting to see a person, it is. Um, it is unsettling. It is it is surprising, and so it's it, it, it scares me just a little bit every time I look over. Oh my word! What? Is, oh, it's Haddon. Uh, go back to bed, and then she just kind of runs out there. And what she'll do though, if we don't, if we're watching a movie and we're engrossed in it or something, and we're we're not paying attention to her, um, and she'll make a little clicking noise with her tongue just so that um, we hear her and notice, and then yell at her. Um, it's a stupid tradition, but it's one she seems to enjoy. And so, um, my children, like especially age two, one, two, three, like it, most surprises from from a two-year-old are not good. Like if it's a surprising smell, you walk into a room and there's a smell there that you weren't expecting. It's never like, yeah, that's awesome, great, I'm ah, uh, cool. No, it's always like, oh, uh, it's disappointing. And so you just kind of go into a different room and hope that 
you know, your wife goes in there and she smells it and changes the diaper. That's that's usually my plan. Oh, really? I didn't I didn't know. So um, these surprises here, though, are good ones. And I don't mean they're not like shocking surprises. Like, whoa, what? What just? It's it's more like, huh? I I wouldn't have done it that way. Jesus surprises us five times in this passage. Five times. And it's not like he like he jumps in, you know, when we're walking by, he boo, you know, it's 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 but he does things that um we're just like, man, I wouldn't have done it that way. That is interesting. That's different. That is surprising. So we're gonna look at those today, and we're gonna see that um Unlike the, the smells that my children produce, the, the, the surprising ones, these, all of these surprises are, are good for us. They are a blessing to us. They are a help to us. Let's look at them one by one. Uh, number one, first surprise, Jesus' all-night prayer. Number one, Jesus' all-night prayer. Verse 12 and 13, in, in these days He went out to the mountain to pray, and all night He continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose um, from them twelve, whom he named apostles. Luke likes to point out that Jesus prays. This is one of the themes that's running through the book of Luke. Uh, all the gospel writers they can't they can't all like focus on everything. And and John himself says there's so much that we didn't even get to write down. There's there's so much to the story of of Jesus, and, and so they can only focus as big as the book of Luke is. There's only so much he can focus on. This is one of the things he's chosen to focus on through the inspiration of the Spirit. Is all the times that Jesus fervently and faithfully prays, and this is a little surprising to us because the, the when we we know that Jesus uh, is completely human. He's a hundred percent human. We know that, but we still always think of him as more God than human, right? I mean, we shouldn't think that way. We know it's like not theologically correct to think of Jesus as more one thing than the other. We, we understand he is both 100% God and 100% man. We understand that, but it's still surprising uh, when he when he prays because he's the Son of God. What does he need to What does he need to pray about? Well, we, you know, if you look at what's happening in chapter six, you know what he's praying about. I mean the the last week's passage ends with the, the Pharisees really hating him, really wanting to kill him. The, the line is being drawn in the sand. It's like the people who are, are with Jesus or the people who are not. And the people who are not want to kill Jesus. They are worked up. They are angry. And so there's, so, so Jesus understands the kind of persecution and even the death that is coming down the road for him. He understands that. So he's, he's praying for faithfulness. He's praying for endurance. He's praying for resolve. But then also, he's about to name his twelve disciples. So he's praying that for, for for wisdom for this decision, and he's also praying for those disciples that they would be faithful, that they would have resolve. So we know what Jesus is praying about, but it's always a little surprising when 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 Jesus feels compelled to pray. I mean, he's God. He's filled with power and authority. Why would he pray? Well, we're reminded here, Jesus truly is completely, utterly human. And he is showing us what it means to be a perfectly obedient human. This is what humans are supposed to do. We are supposed to live independence upon God the Father. We are supposed to turn to him in prayer just like Jesus did. 
And, and, and like we've said a few times through the book of Luke, and because it's a theme, we're going to see it again a few times. If Jesus felt compelled to pray, how much more do we need to pray? We must turn to God in prayer for wisdom, for strength, for resolve, for God to do His good work through us, His good work in us. This is a good surprise for us because it teaches us we must be people of prayer. I remember when I was... You know how when you're younger, you're a lot smarter than you are as you get older? Um, everybody kind of realizes... Because uh, you, you're pretty smart, and then you're like, you, you learn all this stuff you, you don't know, and you're like, oh man, I'm not that smart. And so when I was younger and smarter, I, I would get into these conversations, you know, like why... I would get caught up in questions. Why, If God is in charge of everything, which He is... Why do we need to pray? If God, if, if the purposes of God are unfolding before us and we understand God is sovereign, why do we need to pray? What, what's the point of it? If God knows everything, even before we say it, why say it? Why pray if God is sovereign over what happens? And so while we're fiddling around with questions like this, Jesus is spending all night praying. That should tell us something. We pray because that's what God uses to accomplish His work in the world. We pray because that's what keeps us dependent upon Him. We pray because this is how God does His good work in us and through us. We don't fiddle around with questions that we can never know truly the answer to as well as we would like to. The questions that just lead to more questions. We don't do that. We, we instead use that time in prayer. We pray because that's what God uses. That's what God has commanded. And that's what the perfect Son of God did for His own good and for our benefit as well. We pray because Jesus did. Here's the second surprise. Jesus' first 11 disciples. The second surprise is the the first 11 guys, and I'll talk about the, the, the last guy in a minute, but the first 11 names here after Jesus spends all night in prayer, this is the crew He comes up with. And when, when day came, verse 13, He called His disciples and chose from them twelve whom He named apostles. Simon whom He named Peter and Andrew His brother and James and John and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James the son of Alphaeus and Simon who is called the Zealot and Judas the son of James. These first eleven names are surprising because they're so ordinary. They're very average Guys, and then when we think about this story, because what we have to do today is we have to think about this story that we see um, knowing that this is the beginning. This is like the seed of, of what is going to just blow up in the book of Acts. As we work our way through the book of Luke, and then we work our way through the book of Acts, and then we, we re, and we, what we realize is God is going to use these fishermen and this political zealot and these tax collectors. And you're, you look at me like, man, what is going on here? Why would you choose these people? And then you look at the book of Acts and you see God is going to use these guys to build His church. This is, I mean, these are the ones that, that God is going to use in magnificent ways. And you look at them and like, man, I don't even know how they got along with each other. I don't know how they had any potential whatsoever. And, and you, and you watch them as they, as they, as they, um, live out their lives and as they try to follow Jesus through the book of Luke. And you're like, man, these guys are not 
this is, I wouldn't even call this a, a diamond in the rough. I mean, I think, I think all we have here is rough. I don't think we have a diamond. I mean, I, I don't think there's anything, I don't think there's anything to work with. I mean, you know, sometimes you got a good coach or something, you can really help someone unlock their potential. I don't, I think you could unlock all day and there's no, no potential. These guys are, and even in the book of Acts, they struggle. They struggle to get it. It takes them a little while, some, in some ways. These are just regular people. Kind of bumping along. And they're a bit of a mess. But these are the ones Jesus has called. Right? And this is another good surprise for us because it reminds us that 1 Corinthians is true. We're in 1 Corinthians 1.26, Paul says to us, he says, for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But listen to this. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the, the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of Him, because of God, it is the work of God, because of God you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. This has always been God's game plan, to choose us, people like us, people who are Hey, wow, what, what is, what does he see in us? What, what are we looking at here? I'm not sure, you know, like if you follow sports and you've got a favorite sports team and you see them like they just, they shell out a whole bunch of money and, and, and the guy they get, you're just like, I, why, why did we, why did we do that? Why did we do that? This is what I feel about myself sometimes. I'm like, why, what, what am I doing here? Why has he brought me in? Why has he given me this? ministry, this opportunity to serve. What is What was he thinking? Well, it's because he wants, it to make, he wants to make it absolutely clear to everybody that if anybody's going to boast, it's going to be in the Lord. Jesus' first 11 disciples were surprisingly ordinary. And this is because it's the same reason God has given us Christ Jesus. And it's, it's the same reason He's given us everything He's given us in Christ Jesus. Righteousness and wisdom from God and sanctification and redemption. Why has God done this? So that we don't boast in ourselves, so we boast in the Lord. Our third surprise, our third surprise is Jesus' twelfth disciple, Judas Iscariot. So the first eleven are, are surprising. They're surprising because they're so ordinary. Because they're just like, I, I'm not sure why, of all the people you could have chosen, why did you choose them? I don't get it. They were just regular people. In fact, almost seems like counterproductive. I mean, you, 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 you bring on a tax collector and you bring on a political zealot, it seems like they're just going to hate each other. It becomes clear, like, the only thing these guys have in common is Jesus. The only thing they have going for them is Jesus. And that's really what should be clear about us as well. The thing that we have going for us is, is Jesus. But verse 16, it gets really interesting. He names his twelfth disciple, and, and so you got Judas, the son of James, and then you got and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. This was part of the plan. 
This was part of the plan. Jesus prayed all night for wisdom. Jesus. Jesus. The best prayer prayer ever. Right? Best prayer ever. If, if anyone was connected to God through prayer, it would have been God's Son. He prayed all night for these men. This decision He was going to make. All night for these men He was going to choose to call to be His disciples. This is sometimes how God answers our prayer. By bringing Judas Iscariot into our life. Most of us probably know that Judas is the one who ended up betraying Jesus. Judas is the one who handed him over to be arrested and ultimately crucified. It was the worst act of betrayal in history. You know, there's not a lot of Christian kids with the name Judas. It's kind of like an American kid with the name Benedict, you know? You got British people named Benedict. They love it, right? <laughs> because they, you know, they love Benedict. Oh, he was, he was amazing. Yeah. He turned on George Washington and, and sided with the British. Yeah, that was great. So you got all kinds of British people named Benedict, but no Americans. We don't, we, we understand that Judas is synonymous with betrayal and treachery. And the thing is, God understood that as well. It's not like that night in the garden, God was like, oh, why did I have Jesus choose Judas? What was I thinking? I should have seen this coming. What was I thinking? No, God's plan all along was for Jesus to be crucified. It was God's plan all along for Jesus to be betrayed and arrested and, and condemned in that just ridiculous trial. Falsely accused and then, and then die as an innocent man for the, de- the, the death that we deserve for our sins. This was God's good plan all along. And Judas, so Judas has all of the sin that he himself is responsible for. It's, it's sin that he is accountable for. But it was, it, the, the, the whole thing though is under God's sovereign care. And so it's easy for us right now, like because we have the whole story, so it's easy for us to see what God was doing with Judas. We, we understand why God did that. We understand that. But it's, it's harder for us now, especially when we're right in the midst of it, to see why in God's mysterious sovereignty He's given us the, the, the struggle, the trial that we have. The and it could even be like a like a, a, a person who's turned their back on us, a, a person who's betrayed us. It, it, it could be all kinds of things. It's so hard for us sometimes to like put the pieces together. Like, what is what is going on right now? This story of Jesus choosing Judas. This is the. This is the good will, the good plan of God. And even though this, this, this Judas is going to do all kinds of sin that he himself is fully culpable of, we, we know that all along, God is doing the good Gospel work. Bring His Son to the cross so that we can be forgiven of our sins. Yeah, and it's easy to look back and say, yeah, I get that. I don't understand what God is doing now. I... I can guarantee you that someday, probably not on earth, but someday you'll be able to look back and and see how God is fitting these pieces together and how He is bringing glory to Himself and He's doing good work in you and through you. I 
it, it, you'll see it, it's just going to be maybe, you know, a long time from now. Maybe not in this life. Some things probably not in this life. So we've seen a few surprises. Here's the fourth one. The fourth surprise is Jesus' strategy to build His kingdom. The fourth surprise is Jesus' strategy to build His kingdom. Verse 17, And He came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of His disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear Him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all the crowd sought to touch Him for power came out from Him and healed them all. Like this is, I mean, Jesus is just, He is doing amazing work and He's basically just standing there. They're just coming to Him. He is healing them. He is casting out demons. The power that's coming from Him is healing them all. I mean, this is amazing. It's amazing. But then look at verse 20. And He lifted up His eyes on His disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. When, when, I, when you read verses 17-19, through 19, it seems very much like Jesus shouldn't even bother with the disciples. Jesus is doing fine just by Himself. He can heal. He can cast out demons. He should just stick around indefinitely and do that. Right? I mean, that's, that seems like if I, if I was just like the, the, the person in charge of strategy for Jesus... I'd be like, if I'm, if I'm the one advising him, like, what should we do next? You should just stay here forever and help people. I mean, that's, that's, seems like you're doing fine. I'm not sure why you're investing so much time in these losers. I don't understand that. Don't understand what you're doing. Stick around. Do what you're doing. Don't change anything. But Jesus in verse 20 shows us, and we're gonna see this a lot in the Gospels, that in the midst of all of this healing and all this power and all this authority, he's going to focus in on his disciples. That's, that's the big reason why he spent all night in prayer. He's getting ready to choose his disciples and he's, he's praying for them and he's going to invest in them and he's going to teach them. Why? Because this is his strategy. He is, he is going to die. I, I've said it before today and I want to say it again because you have to hear this and you have to believe it. You need to personally believe this. Jesus came to die. He came to die so we could, we could be forgiven. That's what He came for. He came for the cross. Please believe that. Please believe that Jesus came so that you personally could be saved from your sins. This is not just a general truth. This is a truth that you personally need to believe. And then, and then for those of us who have believed, we need to, we need to get our minds around Jesus' strategy here. Like, Jesus' strategy is you. It's me. It's this local church. It's, Jesus is, is getting ready to, to build His church. He's investing in these guys because these are His first church guys. These are His first pastors and missionaries and, and, and these are these are his first theologians these are the guys that he's going to hand it off to when he goes to to heaven he's going to leave his spirit with these guys and they are going to preach and teach his word he's going to do his work through these guys through the church do you understand how important our church is do you understand how important you are 
as a follower of Jesus? I mean, again, in one sense, of course, we are incredibly ordinary and, and we know in our honest moments that it's a miracle of God's grace that anything worthwhile is accomplished through us. We understand that completely. But we also have to understand that as the church, we're Jesus' strategy. This is what, this is His plan to make disciples in this world. This is why He spends so much time praying for His disciples. This is why He spends so much time training His disciples. This is His strategy for generations to come. You and I. Like, it's, I mean, if you're thinking, not, not really me, I'm more of like one of those people who kind of just cheers other people on. I, I mean, I'm, I'm here, but I'm not really like, that's not, I'm not, I'm not me personally actually part of what Jesus is doing in the world. That's kind of, no. I'm, no, you are. If, 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 if anybody's gonna share the gospel with unbelievers, it's, it's gonna be us. It's gonna be his, I mean, the church is Jesus' his, his disciple making machine. This is, this is it. We'll let, so let's train our children. Let's encourage each other with the word of God. Let's make disciples. Let's just buy into the fact that Jesus has us here because he is doing good work in us and through us. And if he didn't want us making disciples, we would be not here anymore. We'd be with him. Sometimes we just need to be surprised again by the fact that, yes, we are incredibly ordinary and we are, actually, we are absolutely Jesus' strategy. Number five, Jesus' message of happiness. Jesus' message of happiness. So he's doing all this stuff, right? He's doing all the healing, all the casting out demons, all the power is going forth, just all this really great stuff is happening. And then he stops and he looks at his disciples, verse 20, he lifted up his eyes on his disciples. Right? So uh, there's a lot of people here who aren't following Jesus, they're just interested. And so there's a lot of people just listening, and that's fine, but right now he's going to talk to his disciples. They're the ones who are following Him. The ones who are all in. And this is what He says to them. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full, who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. This is, this is perhaps the most surprising part of the story. Jesus has prayed for His disciples. He has named His disciples. He has let us know that this is His strategy for the world. And so He is saying to them, He's looking them in the eyes and He's saying the ones He's chosen, and He's saying the ones He's going to build His church with, the one He's going to entrust to carry on His message, He's going to say, here's how to be happy. The first thing He says to them here, He says, here's how to be happy. Blessed just means 
undeniably, unstoppably happy. He says, here's how you do it. You rem- remember your reward is in heaven. You remember the, the happiness that is coming to you then. This is how you have happiness now. And this is true no matter what Jesus is saying. You can be dirt poor. You can have your friends or family turn their backs on you. You can be mocked and marginalized for my name's sake. But if you have me, then you have everything you need. Jesus says, look, he says, he says, he wants them to understand. So he's saying this in the midst of, of all of this division. He's saying the world is splitting in two. The world is splitting in two. It's, and it's, it's not a political divide or, or a racial divide. It's not any of, anything like that. The world is splitting in two. It's going to be people who trust and follow me and people who reject me. There are only two kinds of people. And Jesus says, and you can be sure that the people who reject me, they will reject you as well. They will revile you. They will marginalize you. They, you, you can just be sure that people are going to turn their back on you for my sake. When that happens, and you look around, and even if the people who reject me are, they, they, they're, they seem like they're doing fine. They're rich, they're well-liked, they're accepted by the people they want to be accepted by. They have it all. Success, fame, everything. Jesus is saying to His disciples, even if in that moment they have everything that you could possibly think they wanted, please understand they can never have true lasting happiness because in the end they will be judged. In the end they will face hell for their sins. The people who reject Jesus are going to face hell for their sins. The people who trust in Jesus as Savior, the people who recognize that they are sinners and they deserve hell for their sins, but Jesus has paid for their sins, they're the ones who have accepted Jesus, even if they are poor and maligned and mistreated, even if it seems like they have nothing to show for their time on earth, if they belong to Jesus, they have all they need. Um... This is, a, this is a surprising message that we need to hear this morning because here's how I'm tempted and I'm assuming you're tempted as well. Here's, here's, here's how I'm tempted and you probably are as well. We are tempted to, um, to live our lives as if Jesus is not a big deal to us. I mean, we're, we'll come to church, right? We'll, we'll come to church but then there's lots of ways in our lives where we sort of disregard the uncomfortable commands of Scripture. There are, there are commands in Scripture. There are, there are just truths in Scripture that if we live according to them, we are going to be edged out of this world. We're going to be, we're going to be less and less acceptable in this world. And even in, like even in our family, and it just becomes, it becomes heartbreaking in some ways. The, the people in our family or our community are just at odds with us. They don't, they don't think the way we do. They don't, they don't believe the way we do. And so sometimes we can still kind of just be, have a cordial relationship with them, but sometimes we can't. Sometimes they, sometimes they just say, you, you know, you, you, you are, uh, you are a hateful bigot with the way that you believe, with the way you think about the sanctity of life or, or marriage or, or any number of issues. 
So there's always this temptation that, to, to say, you know what, I would be just more comfortable in this world. I would just get along with people better. I would fit in to my community. I would fit into my extended family. I would, it would just, life would be easier for me if I would disregard some of what Jesus says. But Jesus says to us, no, 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 no. No, the, the, the way to real happiness is to trust in me and to obey me and to remember the reward you have coming in heaven. To remember the joy you have coming in heaven. I, I used to, um, this has been a while now, this, this ship has sailed, but um, I used to want to be like cool. No, but it's not funny. Yeah, I was close too. I was this close. No, I was never close. Um, but I used to want to be um, clever. I, wa- I wanted to be clever. Um, let me think of somebody. <sighs> Who can I just call on to just talk about for a second? Uh, uh, Pete Freeman hates recognition. He doesn't want... Pete Freeman sit on the back row. Don't turn and look, but if you do, he sit on the back row. Um, and um, he and his wife are an incredible blessing to my family. They're, incred- and they're pretty quiet, so you probably don't know them, but I actually don't want you to know them because they spoil my family. I don't really want them to... I don't want to share them with you. So, um, I mean, they, Carol comes and takes my kids to, like, McDonald's and stuff, and she, she keeps them for, like, hours. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's not... It's more than free babysitting. They're, like, paying... She's paying for the meal, too. It's, it's amazing, um, and I just want to keep this going. So don't even... Really don't even introduce yourself. It's fine. Um, she's ours, right? So... Um, but, uh, you know, they have their own... And not more than you guys do. I'm not, I'm not comparing them to you. I'm just using them as an example because I love to embarrass people. Um, but they have different kinds of pain that they're going through. They have sadness, and then they have physical pain. They're, it's a lot like you. And I want to be clever. I want to have something that, that other people haven't figured out. I want, when they come to my office, or when I, when I talk to them, I want to have something that I can just say, that just like, oh, and they get it, and then it just makes everything better. And they just get, and then their, 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 their pain is just a lot easier to deal with. And they just, you know, I just, I just want to be, like, I want to preach those sermons that, like, four steps to just always being happy. And when they come in, I just have these little tricks and they just, I want to be like a, I want to be like a, a counseling Jedi. You know, I just want to, I just want to be awesome. And I used to say, well, I, I can't just tell people, hey, you're going to be really happy in heaven. I can't say that because that feels like a cop out. Right? Because they got a lot of time between now and heaven that they got to sort through. I used to say, this is weak. It's lazy for me to lead with and for me to emphasize, hey, you're going to be really happy in heaven. But then what we see from Jesus is that's what he leads with. That's what he emphasizes. Hey, your life is probably going to stink here on earth. He's telling his disciples. He just called them. They're all excited. Yeah, when Jesus is 12, this is awesome. Your life's going to be awful. You're going to be poor. People are going to hate you. So welcome to the team. You're going to love it here. Yeah, you're going to love it on our team. Everybody hates you and there's no money. <laughs> but, Jesus says, uh, 
you're, you're, you're going to be unbelievably, undeniably, unstoppably happy. Because your reward is great in heaven. Because right now, you can do something that no one else can do. You can bank on eternal joy. You can bank on the kind of joy that is going to make the, 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 the trouble in this world, as severe as it is, feel like nothing. The, uh, the other day, and I just don't do this enough. I don't do this enough. But my wife and I were talking about something, and I had to go out the door. Like, it was one of those things where sometimes I have to go out the door just because I don't want to talk anymore, right? So, like, oh, i got to go. Look at the time. Here we go. And so, not to my wife. Yeah, sometimes. Um, but I, I, I actually had to go out the door for some reason. And I just said to her, eternity is going to be good. I didn't, have any, I didn't have time to talk about everything, but I don't know if it helped her, but it helped me. Eternity is going to be so good. This is just, this is what Jesus led with. This is what Jesus emphasized. Let's never get so clever that we think we're more clever than Jesus. Let's never get so confident that we don't need to pray the way, the way Jesus prayed. Let's never get so clever that, we're, that, we, that we come up with better ways to help people than, than Jesus did. Your reward is going to be great in heaven. And the thing is, the more and more we believe that, the happier we are right now. Let's pray together. God, we thank You for Your love. We thank You for Jesus. All glory be to Jesus who, who chose us, uh, who called us and chose us and died for us, made us His own, is working in us and is working through us, and is one day going to bring us to Himself forever. We, we, where, we will, where we will leap and dance for joy. Because the reward, really, that's just all of His grace anyhow, the reward is going to be great in heaven. Help us to believe Jesus' words where He sa- has said to us, in this world, you will have trouble. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Help us to be happy, God. Because Your Word is true. And we will be with You forever. pray that You would work this deep into us. Help us to believe it. In Jesus' name, Amen.